With COVID cases surging, how will Indiana respond? We'll hear from Governor Eric Holcomb on the rising case numbers and the president's executive order on evictions. Plus, Indy Mayor Joe Hogsett and state representatives on both sides of the aisle discuss the looming redistricting fight at the statehouse. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Good morning, I'm Dan Spieler. The state of Indiana continuing to see sharp new increases when it comes to cases of COVID-19 and hospitalizations, with some local communities and school districts now taking further action to limit the spread of the virus. But what about this new variant? How much of a danger does it pose to our children? Lindsay Stone spoke with some local experts this week. We're definitely seeing a trend in increased uh, both cases and hospitalizations among youth. Experts say children are the most impacted by the spread of the Delta variant right now. We've gone from sort of an average of about one hospitalization a day for people under 18 to now about two per day. So it's kind of jumped up here in the last couple of weeks. Nurses inside Riley Children's Hospital tell me their patient load has nearly doubled in the last month. The hospital has been packed full, okay, uh, in the last few weeks. Dr. John Christensen is a pediatric infectious disease specialist who treats the youngest Hoosiers battling COVID-19. No question that when you look at the numbers from the past uh, few days, uh, they're significantly higher than what we saw in in, uh, let's say January. In just the last three days, 21 children have tested positive for COVID at Riley. Compare that to January before vaccination started and the hospital had 30 positive cases over a two week period. Experts say some of the surging cases among children can be attributed to the return of large gatherings and mask mandates ending. What has happened is that, you know, as a society, we let down our guard earlier this summer. Data collected by the Regentrieve Institute found the majority of children coming into the emergency room are unvaccinated, some because they're too young others because their parents didn't want them to get the vaccine. I think what we'll see this year is that hospital rates will go up over the next several weeks as cases continue time, but we're probably not facing sort of, you know, overcapacity issues like what we saw last year. In Indianapolis, Lindsey Stone, Fox 59 News. Lindsey, thanks. This week we also heard from Governor Eric Holcomb and from the Indiana Chamber as private businesses now deal with the threat from this variant. What will it mean for Indiana employers? Should they be considering more vaccine requirements? Our Kristen Escal leads our coverage today from the State House. More businesses are mandating masks regardless of vaccination status, and a few businesses in Indiana are mandating the vaccine for employees. This week, I asked the Indiana Chamber of Commerce their position on that and their recommendations for businesses. At this downtown indie boutique, the sign by the front door tells fully vaccinated customers they don't need to wear a mask. Starting next week, the owner says that will change. It's a lot of up and down and a lot of like trying to decide what's best for the biggest amount of people while not alienating customers, but keeping employees safe. Amanda Mauer Tafflinger says even though her employees at Homespun Modern Handmade have all been vaccinated by choice, she'll require them and all customers to wear a mask. Cases are going back up again and um, we just don't have a lot of other choice right now. The Indiana Chamber of Commerce says more businesses are reinstating mask mandates and a few have vaccine mandates for employees right now. Most of those are in the healthcare field. Officials say that could be changing as more businesses are considering requiring vaccines. If this persists, 
then it's likely that that will be uh, considered by more and more employers. In the meantime, Kevin Brinegar says he's urging business owners to encourage their employees to get vaccinated. We've helped facilitate many employers serving as vaccination sites or uh, organizing groups of employees to go to a vaccination site. Governor Eric Holcomb told me he's not against private employers mandating the vaccine for their workers. Private businesses have to figure out a way to most safely conduct their business. The governor also spoke about the extended eviction moratorium, and I asked him about the rising COVID-19 case numbers we're seeing here in Indiana. Fortunately, in the state of Indiana, uh, we have the funding and the and we have the resources. Now, people do have to um, take the initiative to apply for that, but some of the money, there's two different buckets of money. There's money that was sent directly to the bigger metropolitan areas in our state, and then there was money sent to the state. If the local community's funds are depleted, we can reap, the state has the funding available to replenish. We heard some recommendations from the health department last week, but are you considering any statewide restrictions? No, I'm considering just what I've shared, and, and at this point, um, you know, we mentioned that last year we spent about $3 billion, we spent about $300 million uh, just on the testing and the tracing and the vaccination um, access. We watch the, the rates, the hospitalization rates on, a, on more than a daily basis, uh, and we'll continue to make sure that we have the resources that are available, and that will guide our decisions, quite frankly. I hope those numbers um, will encourage more people to do what the millions of us that have been vaccinated have done. And that's not to say that it'll, you know, be 100% guaranteed you'll never get it, but, but, you know, you can read the numbers and see that 99 point plus percent, if they do, they're not being hospitalized and surely they're not dying. So um, that's, that's the true and, and surest way uh, that we all get, not just through this, but out of it. Governor Holcomb also took questions about the redistricting process now getting underway. I spoke with him and state lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. The number of congressional representatives and state lawmakers will stay the same in Indiana, but their districts will soon look somewhat different. I would expect districts around Marion County to contract in size geographically and districts outside of central Indiana uh, are going to need to expand. State Representative Timothy Wesco, who chairs the House Elections Committee, says state lawmakers are hosting nine public input meetings across Indiana before the maps are drawn. We as the legislature have constitutional and statutory obligations that we are going to follow to the letter of the law. Wesco says the process will be fair, but not everyone feels that way. It's just important to realize that we have this um, kind of parallel process where we have the public relations campaign and we have what's really happening behind closed doors. So it's important that the public demand that they be led into what's happening behind closed doors. Democrats like State Representative Matt Pierce, who's also on the House committee that works on redistricting, are worried about gerrymandering. It's likely uh, that the Republican majority will use this as an opportunity to seal in again, their supermajority and draw the boundaries in a way that gives them an advantage. I asked Governor Eric Holcomb about those concerns. He maintains the process will be conducted fairly and legally. I'm confident that we'll have a transparent, open, public welcome, input welcome, uh, and the process will, will be fair. And again, I won't sign anything that's not constitutional. 
Another public meeting is set for Wednesday in Indianapolis. Now, state lawmakers tell me there will be another opportunity for the public to give input on the maps after they're drawn. That would happen at the Senate and House Elections Committees in September regarding redistricting. Back to you. All right, thanks. Coming up next, Indy Mayor Joe Hogsett on the surging crime numbers. Plus, we'll talk with our panel about the city's response to violent crime and this concerning new phase of the pandemic. Next. Well, with COVID cases on the rise across Indiana, we're talking with our panel today about the state's response to this new phase of the pandemic, joined today by Jennifer Wagner, Mike Murphy, Robin Winston, Tony Samuel. We are hearing more, guys, about these, these breakthrough cases. I can personally attest that they are happening. That's why I'm uh, here at home, fortunately doing okay. Very mild symptoms, very thankful to be vaccinated. But, you know, in recent days, we've been hearing about more of these kinds of cases, right? Coach Frank Reich, the new IU president, Senator Lindsey Graham. So, Jennifer, I'll start with you here. What does the CDC need to do at this point in terms of messaging about these new concerns? Well, I'm not a medical doctor, so probably not in the position to give the CDC too much advice other than from what I do for a living in communications is just to keep up that steady drumbeat of information. Um, you know, people should probably go back to wearing masks if they're in that risk group. And for heaven's sakes, y'all go out there, get the shot. We're halfway there as a country, but we have halfway to go. Mike, we're seeing more people go get the vaccine here in recent days because of this surge. Do you expect to see that continue? Yes, I think so. I think uh, people are getting scared when they when they realize that, oh, my gosh, I haven't gotten it. Now people who got it are, are getting it. I have to go out and get it. But I will say I'm very impressed with the governor's messaging, his consistency. And that's really all about what it is. It's about consistently putting your message out there and not flipping back and forth. And you go back to May of last year uh, and May of 2020, you move forward to this year. He's been pretty consistent because he's following the science. And that's the most important thing. Robin, at this point, what are you hoping to hear from our state leaders here in Indiana and also from the Biden administration and the CDC? Well, I hope that our state leaders continue to do like Mike said. And, and since Republicans believe in smaller government, Leave it to the local school boards. Leave it to the local communities to make their decisions. Don't have people go and interrupt their meetings and try to disrupt things. Uh, the governor has set a good tone, um, and he knows that. You know, Rainwater got 11% of the vote last time, running basically against masks. This governor has been resolute, putting public health, public safety first. I think that's admirable in a bipartisan manner. You know, Tony, on that question of local control, you had Surgeon General, former Surgeon General Jerome Adams, this week come out and criticize some of the states for, in his words, taking tools away from public health officials, referring to some of the southern states where mask mandates have actually been banned in some cases. And even this week, Arkansas's governor now says he regrets making that move. Well, let me address that by, by going back to your CDC question. The CDC has been back and forth on issues. Um, they're not revealing everything that they should to the general public, and that makes the public uh, distrustful of the CDC and of other leaders like Fauci. And, and let me explain what I'm talking about. There is natural immunity, and there are studies that have been ongoing for months and recent studies that show that 95% of folks that have had COVID uh, previously have antibodies that, that are lasting and strong uh, in the system, in your body, 
up to eight months uh, after having COVID. Those folks that have natural immunity, along with the folks that have the immunity from vaccine, th that's a huge segment of our population. What the CDC is doing wrong, what the Biden administration is doing wrong, is um, putting pitting people against each other, the vaccinated against the unvaccinated. It's not a vaccinated versus unvaccinated. It's a immunity versus non-immunity. And we have to recognize the folks that have had COVID, which could be up to um, okay. uh, almost half of the country. Uh, countries like Germany are recognizing that and we need to as well. G Jennifer, I want to get your response to that. And in terms of CDC messaging, as Tony uh, mentioned there, calling it uh, back and forth in his words, to some degree, the CDC uh, obviously has to evolve here as conditions change on the ground, do they not? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is, look, this thing has evolved from day one, from the first time we figured out what it was. And yes, there were mistakes made along the way. Remember, we were we were bumping elbows at one point, um, but we're not doing that anymore. That's the whole point. We keep studying this. We keep looking at it. The guidance does change. That doesn't mean it's wrong. All right. Today, we are uh, also following some of the latest developments on the infrastructure bill this weekend. We're going to have more of that coming up on Fox News Sunday and on Face the Nation in a busy weekend there in Washington. We're also talking about some of the crime concerns here in Indianapolis with another year of record-breaking violence in our city. The mayor, the FOP president, back and forth this week on the issue of crime prevention and also some of these situations involving early release. Russ McQuaid has more. The pandemic After taking office in 2016, Joe Hogsett said that for four years, crime was on its way down. But just after he was sworn in for a second term last year, the COVID pandemic hit. Society was knocked on its heels. Police officers and community groups couldn't go one-on-one -on -one in the neighborhoods with the residents and the people most likely to victimize them. And violent crime exploded. Homicides are up right now 34% over a year ago. And 2020 set a record for murder in Indianapolis. Non-fatal shootings are way up too, but the mayor says the last year and a half has been a statistical and violence outlier compared to other indie crime trends. I asked the mayor if he could defend his crime-fighting track record in the wake of skyrocketing violence statistics. Indianapolis is an extraordinarily safe city. Most of Indianapolis' neighborhoods are extraordinarily safe. But what we're really talking about is a high percentage of the gun violence uh, in our city is being committed by an extraordinary, compared to 900,000 residents, it's being committed by an extraordinarily low number of individuals. And those are the individuals that we have to get off the street. A recent study for IMPD looked at how many murders or shootings involve people who were back out on the streets after a judge put them on GPS monitoring. 12 to 15 percent of those victims and suspects in both non-fatal shootings and murders were on some sort of community release. The Fraternal Order of Police has called for a judicial review of Marion County's home detention monitoring system and the mayor agrees. I welcome a review that would help any aspect of our criminal justice system. Including input or money from the state house to help Indianapolis curb its violent crime epidemic. And I think that it's time with the public safety crisis continuing to surge uh, that we, uh, we take a look down at the other side of Market Street and ask for some guidance and, and, some, uh, and some collaboration with the state legislature to see if we can work with them to get this fixed. 
Okay, Russ McQuaid reporting there. Mike Murphy, I'll start with you to get some reaction. You're a former state lawmaker. Anything the state can or should do? And what's your response to Mayor Hogsett there? He took some criticism this week for calling Indy an extraordinarily safe city right now. Well, let's let's start with my good friend, Mayor Hogsett, who is a good guy. He's just way over his head and lacks any ability to lead. He says the city is so safe. Well, sure, it's safe in Meridian Hills area in Gritty and Kessler, most Hoosiers, most Indianapolis residents can't afford to live in that neighborhood, right? We have to live in the real city where crime is happening and people are dying. Now the question is, should the governor get involved? Well, he could fo follow Evan Bayes' example. In the late 80s, early 90s, can't remember exactly what year it was, he sent the state police in to take over Gary and they got things, they got the crime rate down. The governor has that ability. He should just push Joe Hogsett out of the way and make this city safe. Robin, what's your response to that? Well, I don't agree with Mike on everything he said, but I do remember that Evan Byte did send troops walking and they were state troopers walking down Broadway in Gary. But the key thing was it was at the behest of local leadership that wanted to partner. This thing is bigger than just the city of Indianapolis. You have drugs and, and, and weapons coming in here from other places. We have got to approach this holistically. We've got to expand. And I agree with those who said, look at the other end of Market Street to be a partner in reducing this because this is the capital city. It is the center of the state. And as it goes, so does a lot of our state. So I think it's absolutely important that the mayor continue to reach out, that we address some of the systemic issues that do include things like bond and how people are on home detention and how they are being tracked by GPS systems. But we've got to collaboratively work together. It's not just one mayor trying to deal with an issue. This has got to be expanded. And I hope and trust that the mayor will do that. Robin mentioned some potential solutions there, Tony. What's the solution here in your view? How do we turn these numbers around? Well, I, I, I agree with, you know, it might be time for the state uh, and for the governor to get involved because the numbers aren't turning around. Remember, Joe Hogsett ran for re-election after four years uh, uh, with a dismal record on crime, ran for re-election like now he was going to fix crime. And he hasn't, and he hasn't, you know, homicides are up, uh, all kinds of uh, crime statistics are, are up. And you can't say most of the city's safe when people still have to go downtown or, or should go downtown to work or, or, or to, for entertainment reasons, and they can't. I hear, you know, every every day practically, somebody saying they're afraid to go downtown. So he had no plan. Um, he's going to throw some more money at it, but it's it's got to be um, addressing uh, illegal guns and gangs and groups, as right. they're calling them, um, where uh, that are causing this violence. Jennifer, quickly, you get the last word here. Well, I love how y'all are for local control until you're not. Uh, as Republicans. But uh, look, I commend the mayor for, uh, for for making the budget request. And we've got to do something, obviously. And I agree with Robin, it should be collaborative. Okay. Thanks to our panel. They'll be back for this week's winners and losers coming up. We're also going to be talking about another uh, big item in the news this week that could impact Indianapolis down the road when it comes to the NCAA Final Four. Stick around much more right after this. The men's and women's Final Four come 2026. A law firm hired to investigate gender equity concerns in NCAA championships recommends holding both Final Fours in the same site. Its report says the Indianapolis-based NCAA is not living up to its commitments to diversity, inclusion, and gender equity. 
back in March. Players, coaches, and trainers criticized the NCAA for not offering a, a full weight room or other amenities at the women's tournament in San Antonio. The men's tournament here didn't have the same problems. Now the report recommends the NCAA hold Final Four games at the same site and offer financial incentives to schools to improve women's basketball programs. Certainly a conversation at this year's Olympics as well that are wrapping up this weekend. Stick around. We're back to wrap things up here right after this. And welcome back. It's time for this week's winners and losers. Tony, I'll start with you. The U.S. Olympic team, especially our Olympians from Indiana, uh, we're, we're up by 25 or so medals on China, and uh, those are the winners for, uh, for me for this week. Losers are Democrat governors, Gavin Newsom, Cuomo in New York, and Phil Murphy for instituting a, a mask uh, mandate again in New Jersey. Obviously, Governor Cuomo uh, in the news this week uh, for other reasons as well. Robin? Winner in 1965, on this date, Lyndon Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act, and a then-freshman congressperson named Lee Hamilton voted for that. Tremendous winner. The losers are people on the other side of the aisle who are working every day to take away voting rights. Mike? I'd say, I have to say my loser is uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Um, not only has a Democratic uh, Attorney General and now the uh, Democratic President of the United States suggest that he resign, one of his victims, alleged victims, filed a criminal lawsuit against him, a criminal complaint against him on Friday. And the uh, winner has to be you all, Fox News and Courtney Crown particularly. She, you are the first station that I know of and the first journalist to actually mention the name of the judge who let that guy out, who went and killed the woman and, and dismembered her body. Name the, the judges. The story we've been following closely there. Jennifer, you get the last word. Well, Mike already took mine, so I'll be really brief. Man, Andrew Cuomo, hang it up. When the president of the United States says it's time to go, it's time to go. All right. Thanks to our panel. And since I am in the basement this week doing the show, surrounded by sports memorabilia, I'll add one more winner, too. We got our Colts this week in the Hall of Fame. Peyton Manning, Edgerin James, two Indianapolis icons, and a nice way to leave things this week after a big weekend for Colts fans at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We'll see you next Sunday.